Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff, and today I want to talk about cranking on submissions in competition, and I want to talk about what makes someone a fighter. Guys, last week was crazy. Right when I got back from Medusa, I jumped right into the PGF. We had visitors all week, and the PGF started on Wednesday. So it officially started on Wednesday, but I was prepping on Monday and Tuesday. A lot of the prep is just getting ready, you know, just getting my mindset right because I know how hard the PGF week is. This is my fourth time doing it. I am a vet of this game. And I'm telling you, the PGF is a marathon. It is a grind. It is grueling for everyone involved, from the broadcast team to the competitors to the coaches, everyone. And it's worth it. It is a lot of fun. You meet a lot of great people. And I feel like the content that the PGF has been able to produce is honestly second to none. The PGF, this event especially, stacks up, in my opinion, to any other event in grappling history. I know that might sound crazy, but these matches delivered. The guys and girls, they came to compete, and it was killer be killed out there. Nobody was looking for draws. I mean, it was really, really entertaining. And I loved the quintet switch. I thought that was a great addition. We saw a lot of really up-and-coming young talent out there with some established veterans. Um, it was just great. I, I'm really looking forward to what's next for the PGF. I, I think big things are coming. But I want to talk about cranking submissions in competition because that has been one of the big subjects over the past week since EBI Absolutes. All the controversy surrounds Pat Shigoli. Now, it's crazy. Pat Shigoli went from being a really unknown prospect i'd seen him at a couple of finishers tournaments like he's 13 14 years old competing against grown men but my man was a large kid i mean he was already competing in the heavyweight division as a 13 year old and he did well at finishers events i thought he looked good he didn't look like a special talent by any means you know um, but i thought he looked good and he really just kind of came out of nowhere in my opinion to win the EBI qualifiers, the 10th planet EBI qualifiers for the absolute division. Now, here's what we got to understand. Pat is 16 years old and he is a blue belt. He trains at 10th planet Long Island underneath his dad. He's been in the game for like eight, nine years, I think. But he comes out to this EBI qualifier as a huge underdog. He had to qualify for the qualifier. So he wasn't even in the original bracket. He has to win two matches. He wins both of them, and then he has to jump in as the 16th seed, and he has to face the number one seed, Quentin Rosenzweig. Now, Quentin is one of the baddest dudes out there. I'm telling you, I've trained with Quentin a bunch of times. He is a scary dude. He's got some huge wins in competition. He has probably, I mean, at least one of the gnarliest missions I've ever seen with that Aoki lock against Kyle Bame at the On It Invitational. Pat beats Quentin. It's a really back-and-forth match. I think Quentin's winning offensively for, for most of it. But Pat has a couple of sick back-take counters off of leg locks, but a match goes into overtime, and Pat ends up winning by ride time. Well, in the quarterfinals, he faces Derek Rayfield. Now, Derek is a tough son of a gun. Derek is an OG. He, I mean, I remember as a blue belt going to 10th Planet headquarters, and Derek was just a little kid. He was like 10 or 11 years old. Now he's turned into a monster, and he's had some of the most iconic matches in uh, 
you know, EBI and CJJ history. He's a guy that'll jump into any rule set and he'll face anyone, anywhere, anytime. And so I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was kind of surprised to see him in the absolute division because he's nowhere near an absolute. Pat was so much bigger than him. But anyways, during this match is where all the controversy first started. Pat ends up getting Derek into 50-50. And on Derek's free leg from 50-50, so not the trap leg, the free leg, he ends up getting a sick Aoki lock. I mean, it's probably the gnarliest Aoki I've ever seen. It looked like he just destroyed Derek's knee. Derek, um, you know, screamed, tap, and, you know, he looked visibly injured. And Pat goes on to win the semifinals, and in the finals, he faces Sam Barboza, and he beats Sam Barboza by EBI overtime. So he's going as a 16-year-old who had to win the qualifier just to get into the bracket. He ends up winning the 16-man bracket, and he earns his spot into the biggest EBI yet. EBI 20, the absolutes for $50,000. Now, here's what you got to understand. is like after this event, Pat is a hero. I'm telling you, people were talking about this kid all over the community. I had a bunch of people message me about Pat, a bunch of students that never talked to me about grappling competitions or competitors messaging me, who is this kid? And I'm like, man, I didn't even know you watched jujitsu, but yeah, they're tuning in. They're asking who this kid is. He's 16. He's a blue belt. He looks different, right? He doesn't look like Gordon Ryan. And he goes out there and just has a killer performance. Everybody's sharing that Aoki like he hit on Derek. I mean, that went viral. And yeah, he, he was the sensation. And everybody's kind of like super excited to see how he does in absolutes. I'm telling you, he was the guy I was most excited to watch in absolutes. In the absolute, uh, EBI absolute division. Well, EBI absolutes comes around. He has his first round match. And in his first round match, he ends up hitting a heel hook from 50-50 that was pretty vicious. The guy screams tap, and it looks like he's visibly, he looks like he's hurt. I don't really think anything of it at the time. The second round match, he's got a super tough opponent from Fight Sports. He, uh, the guy that he faced, um, what's his name? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on it. But the guy he faces is a really, really tough dude. He's a super good leg locker. Um, I've seen him, you know, I've seen him beat some pretty talented guys. And... Um, you know, Pat has a great, great match with him. He goes back and forth. They're exchanging leg locks, and he ends up losing in ride time. And it was a great showing for him because while the, the guy from Fight Sports that he fought like hasn't won anything major yet, he's an up-and-coming too. And it was a big testament to Pat, like where he's at. And, and it really shows like Pat's a hot prospect right now. Like he's a guy you got to watch out for in the future especially when it comes to the sub-only scene. But the next day, everyone was freaking out. I had, again, people talking about it at the gym. I had people, um, you know, reach out to me on Instagram. I was reading, you know, whether it was on Facebook groups or Reddit or whatever. People are just like, they don't like this kid anymore. They think the kid is dangerous. They think that he is trying to injure people on purpose. That he's not giving his opponents time to tap. He's not giving them time to tap. He's not controlled enough. He doesn't understand the techniques enough. He's just a blue belt spazzing out on heel hooks and leg locks and he's hurting people. And I'm writing people write the craziest, uh, I'm seeing people write the craziest stuff 
they're like, man, I hope this kid gets his leg broken or he's got what it's coming or how much would it, it cost for us to get Craig Jones to go in there and break this kid's leg. And I hope this kid never competes again or I can't wait till he gets what's coming to him. Yeah, he got all this stuff about how he hurts teammates, how he's, um, you know, I wouldn't compete against him and all this stuff. So I'm like, man, in the span of a couple, like two weeks, he went from being somebody everybody was like, man, look at this kid. He's blue belt, 16 years old. He doesn't look like a top-level grappler. He doesn't have the six-pack, and he's not super long. Like He's not built like an elite-level grappler, but yet he moves beautifully. He's got great technique, and, I mean, he looks he looked awesome. I thought he looked awesome at the qualifiers and at EBI. And people turned on him. And here's my thought on it. Look, guys, we're talking about elite-level competition. We're talking about a gentleman's agreement or two women agreeing to step on the mats and find out who the best is. This is professional grappling. And people get hurt. I have seen so many people lose matches because they were being too nice. And you really kind of learn that out, like you learn that in the, uh, in the lower levels of competing where you don't want to hurt. You don't want to break somebody's arm. And so you're a little too loose on an arm bar. You're giving your opponent time to tap, but they take that and they escape. They take your kindness and escape leg lock or whatever it may be. I've seen it. I've been there myself. You cannot give your opponent an inch. And look, if you're one of those people that are offended because somebody's going too hard on a submission or you feel like they're cranking a submission, you've never been there competing for money. You've never been in a match, you know, or you haven't watched enough jujitsu because there's guys out there that just also don't tap. The Meows, AJ Agazarum. There's so many guys I've seen that just don't tap. I've seen Gino Mar- Gio Martinez, and there's a bunch of those dudes out there that just eat submissions. And unless you put them in danger of catastrophic injury, they're not going to tap. And even sometimes those guys still don't tap. And the only issue I have with any competitor applying a submission is if it's illegal so if they're doing something that's illegal, like Orlando Sanchez slamming Tex Johnson, or they hold on to the submission too long, also known as the Paul Harris. If you watch Rahusamir Paul Harris, like some of the things he did, it's disgusting. Because the guys are adamantly like they're like violently tapping. The ref is trying to get the grip off, but Rahusamir's still cranking the submission. But that's not what Pat did. He immediately lets go after the tap, but yes, he goes into it full force like you have to. I honestly think that even at like the Naga expert divisions, like you should be going with intensity after your submissions. Now, I think a lot of people just don't understand. They're so freaked out, especially by leg locks. They're so freaked out by leg locks. They just, they still believe the age-old thing that leg locks are dangerous. That it's not for the regular person. It's not for regular Joes. And look, they're just too dangerous to be done. You should apply them 
only in specific only at specific times and under specific kind of uh, like parameters. Like you should never just go crazy into hill hook because you'll blow somebody's knee out and they're not going to be able to walk. They're going to be crippled for the rest of their life. I mean, there's a lot of people out there still believe that. I know you guys listening, you guys don't believe that, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in the community that still think like that. And here's the thing. I have been training with heel hooks for years, for a decade plus. Been in tournaments with them. I've had them applied to me. I've had, uh, I've applied them to people. I've literally tried to break people's legs with heel hooks and I've had them try and break my leg. And I have never seen a bad injury in person from a heel hook. In competition in the gym ever and i'm talking about like really hard rounds like times where i was like man i'm trying to get this heel hook the worst i've seen is just you know the foot ankle pops or maybe the knee pops but honestly every single person is completely fine after at most two weeks travis for instance he took a pop from an inside heel hook on saturday and he trained phenomenally this week. He took two days off. Or no, he took three days off. He trained Wednesday and today. And he trained both days phenomenally. Um, very high intensity. A lot of like agility, like side to side stuff. We were working a lot on footwork and just like retreating and how to get out from like the, the fence and making sure that you don't end up with your fence against the, your back against the fence. And so just a lot of circling, a lot of you know, side-to-side movements, and he was pivoting and everything, and his movement looked great. He had zero issues. But people like heard his ankle pop or his knee pop. I'm not sure what pop, but people were saying, like, yeah, like the ref was like, yeah, like I heard his, his leg pop, and he's completely fine. I've had my leg pop from heel hooks and uh, straight ankle locks. And I'm telling you, I train. I never, I might have missed like one day of training. One in particular was a straight ankle lock. And yeah, I mean, I felt it for like six weeks, but I trained every single day. I didn't miss one training session because of it. Now, the worst injuries I've seen from Helix um, just on video have been when the tibia breaks. So think Craig Jones versus Vinny Magalesh. I mean, Vinny's just not, he's a great example of what I was talking about uh, a minute ago, just a competitor that will not tap. Break my arm. I'm not going to tap. He did that in the ADCC finals against Verdun. Break my leg. He did that to Craig Jones. He made Craig Jones break his bone in half. And he still like didn't tap initially when it happened. He just gave up like 40 seconds later. It was insane. Kyle Bame also, he, he broke uh, Dan uh, Borovich's leg. I think it was Dan Borovich with an outside heel hook. But it was the bone. So we need to... Stop with the, man, like this guy's cranking on a heel hook. Um, you're talking about like years and years and years. He's going to be crippled. He's going to have years and years of medical expenses because of heel hooks. Like, no, right? Now, obviously, if Pat just kept cranking, kept cranking, like the guy's screaming tap and the ref is trying to get him off and tap, like Pat's going like, yeah, if you like hold a submission for like 10 seconds, like, yeah, there's going to be some pretty – gnarly damage some catastrophic damage You're, you probably get that that tibia break just like dan borovich and just like Vinny magalesh but it doesn't things just don't explode right away the other big point i want to make is uh, i thought it was really cool that jujitsu times 
did an article where they interviewed a bunch of different top-level competitors. And they interviewed them about this topic. Do you think that competitors should give other competitors time to tap? In every single, this is one of the few times where you will see everyone agree. Every single person agreed that you cannot do that at the high level, uh, at a high level of competition. Because as I already mentioned, your opponent will take advantage of your weakness. They will try to escape. The only reason guys tap at the top is because you put them in danger of injury. And if you bluff, if they think you're bluffing and that you're not willing to break their arm, well, they're just going to keep moving until they slip the elbow. And now you lost your chance. So I thought that was really cool. And it's definitely something I'd look at. And especially if you're looking for like a competitor's perspective, you should check out that article. Um, I believe, again, it was on Jiu-Jitsu Times uh, because it was really eye-opening. What was really cool is they actually interviewed the guy that Pat heel hooked in the first round of EBI absolutes. And he said, no hard feelings towards Pat. He totally understands. Like that's just the way it is when you're competing as a professional. Another thing I want to talk about today. So the next thing is what makes someone a fighter? Because I saw a video of Marcus Buchecha Almeida, one of the greats talking about how he doesn't consider someone a fighter unless they have fought gi, no gi, and MMA. That you have to have tested yourself in all three arenas. And honestly, I don't really want to talk about being a fighter. Like what makes someone a fighter? What I want to talk about is moving the goalposts. Because I feel like that's what this is. Buchecha is moving the goalposts. And you see this commonly. Like you see this all the time. Especially... Um, especially when someone like has been great in a sport, but then someone's starting to become greater than them. And so they change the criteria of what makes someone the best or what makes someone a true, you know, fighter or practitioner or, you know, makes someone the best basketball player. Um, cause like one of the big things with like LeBron James, that everybody argues, and I understand this, but like free agency and all that wasn't as big of a deal as it is today. Like it's nowhere near, um, like so many people are moved teams, but everyone always, you know, gets onto LeBron for creating super teams. How he's jumped from team to team. He was with Cleveland, he went down to Miami, back to Cleveland, and now he's with the Los Angeles Lakers. And people will use that, you know, they'll just use different things. They'll change the criteria. They'll talk about how, like, Michael Jordan never changed teams. And I feel like Buchecha is kind of doing something similar where he's changing the criteria for himself, or he's like kind of picking the criteria he wants to make himself the best. And he's using the gi in MMA to go against Gordon Ryan. He didn't say Gordon Ryan's name, but everybody knows what he meant. He's talking about the new wave guys. He does not, he just doesn't have respect for guys that only do no gi because they haven't tested themselves in other forms of combat. And... It's always, to me, like one of my least favorite arguments. Like, I hate when guys do this. Buchecha, to me, just looks like he's feeling kind of insecure because everyone has claimed, now, or everyone's claiming now that Gordon Ryan is the greatest of all time. Now, here's what you got to understand is a lot of people before Gordon Ryan, it was kind of like Buchecha. Before Buchecha, it was Hajar Gracie. And then before, before Hajar... You know, there's a couple of guys, you know, all the way back to Hickson. 
and we could just keep going further and further back. But each generation or like each kind of every five years, you've got a guy that's just claimed as the best, the greatest of all time, or this guy's the best. Because everybody's saying Buchech is the best. He's won the most world titles. He's won ADCC. Um, he, he's incredible. He's the best. Well, now everyone's doing that about Gordon. I just feel like Buchech is jealous. And so he's trying to, in a passive-aggressive way, kind of go, eh, I'm not impressed. Real fighters do what I'm doing. They fight gi, they fight no gi, and then they fight in MMA. And if you don't do that, you're not a real fighter. And I saw Gary Tonin kind of call him out because he was like, this is such a stupid – because he, he knows – People can read between the lines. He knows who the shots, like who Buchech is firing shots at. He's firing shots at his team and especially his student, Gordon Ryan. And he kind of comes back and is like, well, what else do you have to be good at to be a real fighter? You know, it's kind of funny, like list all these things. Like, do I have to be good at like badminton and tennis and foosball and yada, yada, like all these things. Like, do I have to compete in all these things? Like, when does the list stop? And that's a great question is when does that list stop? If Gordon goes on to fight and like win a gi championship and then win a MMA championship, then does it become, well, he doesn't have the most championships or he didn't do this. He didn't ever fight in Sambo or he never fought in Lucha Livre. He never competed in the Olympic gold medal. Like you can always do that. That's what I'm saying. Like whenever you're creating, like comparing the great, like who the greatest is or who the best fighter is and all that stuff. You can always change the arguments around to make an argument for your guy or for yourself. And that's what Buchecha is doing. So what is a fighter? You know, is it what Buchecha says? Is it what Gordon claims to be? Is it Triple C? Is it Conor McGregor? Is it you? Is it myself? Like, are we fighters? To me, everybody's definition of fighter is completely different. In my opinion, a fighter is anybody that competes or trains in combat sports. If you're training in a sport where you're learning techniques that could kill or maim another human being, then you are a fighter. So I look at jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsuers as fighters. That's a very debated topic. A lot of people go, look, these guys don't get punched in the face. Um, it is not a fight, and these guys are not fighters. I completely disagree. I think if you are a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you are a fighter. I think if you are a boxer, you are a fighter. Kickboxer, sambo, all of that, like you are a fighter. Now, I'll say that I don't think wrestling, like if you're a wrestler, you're not a fighter because you're not learning to maim, like you're not learning to maim or kill somebody. You're not learning rear naked chokes. You're not learning arm bars. You're not learning those things. To me, that's what makes you a fighter is when you start adding in those techniques because, again, you can decide to end somebody's life with some of the technique, uh, techniques that Brazilian jiu-jitsu or that's involved in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Um, so that's my definition or kind of my understanding as a fighter. But I also understand everybody's got different ones. But I really just, I'm sick and tired. I hate when people, because I'm a big fan of like listening to sports talk and everything, but stop moving the goalposts, right? Stop. Especially don't do it for yourself like Buchecha did. Let other people at least make that argument. Don't, don't you, because it just, it makes him look jealous and it makes him look uh, bitter and, and I don't know, it's not a good look for him. 
Like, I get it, you know. Gordon right now is getting all the praise, all the hype. Everyone's kind of forgot about you. But that's the way of the world. If somebody comes along in a couple of years and starts beating Gordon, everybody will forget about Gordon. We'll move on to him. It's kind of how, like, right now, Conor McGregor's an afterthought in the UFC. When was the last time you really thought about Conor actually fighting? Like, yeah, people will bring his name up every now and again, but no one talks about Conor seriously. Just like no one's talking about Buchecha seriously when it comes to Nogi, um, ADCC, Brazilian Jiu, all that stuff. Like, he's just an afterthought now. He's a guy that fights MMA and won championship. He's still one of the best ever, but a lot of guys, it's hard for them to... Uh, it's hard for them to move on, and especially when you are used to everyone saying you're the best. Now you're seeing them do that to somebody else, land those praises on somebody else. That's tough. Till next time, guys. I really love and appreciate your guys' patience. I know most of you would like really, really want me to start doing podcasts like every day or every other day. And I know that I'm not the most consistent. At times I am. But also, you know, I know this, it's probably been, what, 10, 11, 12 days since the last podcast. So I still appreciate you guys, um, you know, sticking around and um, just always having nice things to say about the podcast and supporting it. Peace, guys.